0: We are in the book of Deuteronomy, and actually today, we are in uh, Exodus 32. Remember, what we're looking at is the comparisons between what's going on in Deuteronomy 9, because Moses gives a brief synopsis of the events that took place with the giving of the Ten Commandments and the immediate rebellion that he found due to the idolatry of the children of Israel. Exodus 32, he gave a running record to the second generation, and in doing so, there's some, some little points here and there that he left out of the issue that we want to look at today. So, Exodus 32, man, new microphone, this is weird. Didn't pop though, did it? Did it pop up Pastor Paul was preaching? Pastor Paul preaching? Pastor Paul preaching. Yeah. Unless I do that. All right. Good deal. Yeah, we'll have to work with this. I was going to say, yeah, you can tell it's not broken in yet. That's the only reason why I had him come speak, to break in the new mic. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But uh, before we get started, let's take a moment, let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity to uh, be before you uh, in... uh, in the word, uh, knowing, Father, the uh, power that it has, Father, it's not not to be underestimated by any means. You have revealed yourself in truth, and we thank you, God, for that truth. Uh, we pray, Lord, for your blessing and your mercy as we uh, review this horrible instance uh, of rebellion and unbelief. But, Father, we would learn greatly from it. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Now remember, an important thing to understand about this situation, when you end up with the idea of, hey, Aaron, here's all of our gold, why don't you make for us a God? We don't know what happened to Moses. Uh, Contentment, even to this day, is one of the greatest problems amongst God's people. Uh, You know, you find that you're looking for everything to fill that gap. We often, how many people here get excited about a new study? And it's like, oh, a new study, I'm excited. And then where's your excitement about four or five weeks into that study? I can tell that from the hermeneutics class. Seventy-five people signed up for it. We've probably got about sixty, maybe sixty-five, but not everybody makes it. Not everybody's able to stick with it. And I understand there are circumstances, one reason or another. Uh, but those kind of things happen. We get real excited, we get fired up about something, we think, oh, this new thing is the way to make it work. And uh, you know, we we were all bought into this, but now we're all bought into this, and it's almost like we're tossed around. I think of being tossed around to uh, by every wind of doctrine. Sometimes that happens. Well, notice, Moses is 40 days gone, and the children of Israel are already crying out, make for us a God, because we don't know what happened to Moses. Now, here's the sad thing. Had Yahweh revealed himself to the children of Israel, Amazing ways, right? But notice, for some reason, those blessings were not readily on their mind at this point. I think this is another important principle for us to think about before we dive into this section, and that is the idea of it is worth your time to document the blessings of God. Uh, I have, some of you might have seen it. I have an old Bible. It's got that gorilla tape that's holding it together around the outside. And it is thick. I mean, it, it fits my hand just perfectly, my arthritic-ridden hand perfectly. I'm able to hold it. It's got traction, the whole deal. But you flip open to the front of it, and it's got a little uh, yellow pad, a little yellow pad with three or four pages on it that's right here that I took and used poster tape. And I poster-mounted it inside the inner cover of my Bible. And the reason is, is because I have documented on there the different ways that God has shown me blessing. And here's the reason why. All of us are going to go through these 40-day periods. I don't know what happened with this person. Well, good grief, how come I feel just as dry as can be? I don't really feel like the Lord is doing anything. And a lot of times when that happens, the question is, is will you still believe or will you give way to unbelief? There's only two options. The Bible is really a lot simpler than what some people make it. And so what happens when you can go back and you can look at the chronicled record of just in your own personal experience how God has answered prayers or sent blessings your way, you can immediately recall the faithfulness of God. And that helps get your mind straight so that you don't lose sight of what he's done. I encourage you, take the time to do that. A second thing that would help major is to keep a prayer journal. Keep a prayer journal. I hate journaling. I think journaling is the dumbest thing in the world. I'll go ahead and tell you. I do. I know. It's terrible. I know. Not as much as cats, but I still don't like it very much. But everybody's gotten real artsy-fartsy with the journaling now. Has everybody seen that? You can go to the Christian bookstore and buy your colored pencils, and they've given you these wide margins, not to take detailed notes about the text, but to draw your feelings on the side about how you feel about this. It's true, put a sticker on there. What is wrong with people, right? We all need an experience, it seems like, to get by. But, But as far as prayer journaling, the reason why you want to journal your prayers is because we serve a God that answers prayer. And so what you find is if you have a prayer journal moving along and he begins answering these prayers, all of a sudden you have a book of blessings that it ends up being. Uh, my prayer journal actually started getting so answered, which was awesome, that I had to tear those pages out and start over with requests that were going on. Because all of a sudden, I was running out of room to write, oh, well, that one's been done, you know. And I was marking it, writing the date. It was answered, you know, 3, 4, 2019, moving on. It's helpful to have these records. And why is that? All of us are going to hit a 40-day period. We're going to be tempted to lose sight of who God is. We're going to be tempted to lose sight of what God's done. Get this. No matter what the experience has been in our life, we have never had an experience like the children of Israel. Right? Cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, meeting with the leader personally, hearing him audibly speak from Sinai. Being so scared of his voice that we thought, if God audibly opens his mouth again, my heart will stop and I will fall down dead. Don't ever let God speak to us again. Not because it was, it was bad, it's because it was so awfully wonderful and awesome. By the way, did you guys know that the original meaning for the word awful used to be full of awe? awesome we now awful like that restaurant is awful don't go there it used to mean whoa is what it used to mean full of awe what happened to language who knows but anyway this whole situation we have not had these degree of experiences but what we do have that never passes away is the word of god we're guaranteed it by the lips of jesus And let me remind you why this is important is because this is exactly in line with what Moses reiterated with the second generation in Deuteronomy 4. Remember, when God spoke to you, you didn't see an image. You heard a voice. You heard his word. He didn't give you something to look at and play with and glamour over and then build pictures with and none of that stuff. He spoke and that's what you needed to have. That was to be your focus. His word is the focus. So with that in mind, we're in Exodus 32. And we're, if you remember, we started in verse 11. And let's read to where we got to, okay? Verse 11, Then Moses entreated Yahweh his Elohim and said, "Oh Yahweh, why does your anger burn against your people, whom you have brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak saying with evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Now notice he's saying here you don't want your name to be publicly infringed upon by the pagans. That's completely against the whole reason why you delivered these people out of this situation. So it says here, forgive me, turn from your burning anger. And change your mind about doing harm to your people. In other words, Lord, I'm asking you, please repent from this decision. Now, that immediately unsettles people. But what you have to remember is is God does not repent like we repent. Our repentance, and here's what's caused confusion about this word. Our repentance is often coupled with sorrow. Okay? God's repentance is rarely coupled with sorrow with sorrow his regretting is never because he made a mistake his regretting is how we have handled the directions in which he has led us okay so that's really important to think about and weigh out in fact if you're ever looking for a book on repentance that helps solve that issue mary do we have the kakoros book on repentance in the library If you are interested in looking at a detailed understanding of the word repentance, get with Mary. She can take you back to the library. She can put a book in your hands. It's not cumbersome at all. It's actually very thin. But he does an excellent job of giving a solid treatment to the word repentance and demonstrating how it's used throughout the Bible. It's very helpful, and it clears a lot of the fog. So notice after that, verse 13. Moses appeals to Yahweh, on the basis of his word. Now remember, the focus is always what has God said. Always his word. So notice what he does. He takes his situation, verse 13. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore, everybody see that? By yourself. And said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, and all this land of which I have spoken, I will give to your descendants, and they will inherit it. How long? Forever, exactly. What did Moses just do in beckoning God's favor in this situation instead of His anger? What did God, inv- or sorry, what did Moses invoke here? Where did he go in his prayers? What's that? He went to God's promises, but what is it called in particular? The Abrahamic Covenant, and why is it important? What makes the Abrahamic Covenant so unique? Exactly. It is not that two people came along, made an agreement, shook hands on it, and now each one is responsible for upholding the covenant. That's not the idea. It is God telling Abraham, I'm going to do this. And no matter how much you mess it up, I'm going to see my word through to the end. I will fulfill what I have promised, period. It is unconditional in nature. So notice, the children of Israel, by their rebellion, have already destroyed the conditional covenant that was made with Moses. If you will obey me, then I will protect you. If you will serve me, then I will provide everything that you need. That was the if-then covenant the mosaic covenant a conditional nature when israel fails in upholding their end god is no longer obligated to do anything he promised in that area so moses knows that he has no grounds because of the guilt of the people to appeal on that promise but he can take a step back and he can say wait a second we've got a greater promise here that's not based on any other conditions but your own faithfulness And you condescended yourself, which is interesting. The the Hebrew word for grace means to condescend, to stoop down. You have actually stooped down yourself as creator, and you have made an agreement with your creatures, with Abraham and Isaac and Israel. There's going to be a land, there's going to be a seed, and when we inherit it, it is ours forever. Forever. God's word seals the deal. Now, this is the grounds of appeal here. So watch what happens. Verse 14. So Yahweh did what? He changed his mind. Does that unsettle any of us? Why? Would we have been better off if he just destroyed everybody but the Levites? Just wipe them all out. They're no good. Some of you are thinking about how your kids have acted sometimes, haven't you? Like yeah, I just throw them out the window. It's okay. We'll have another one. Start over, like that. Is that how it goes? Is that yeah? Amen. Is that how it goes? Yeah. Families with multiple kids. We got a couple to spare. Get these out of here. Is that how you handle it? No. There's a lot more tied up in it, isn't there? There's a lot more love. God is not an emotionless God. Why is He so angry? He wouldn't be so angry if He didn't care so much, would He? I mean, let's be honest. Raise your hand if you've ever wanted to toss your child. It's okay. Big hand raises in the back. That's good. Yes, you would have thought you were swearing to something in court. But yeah. And notice, why is God so angry? God's so angry for a reason as we are as parents because we know that there is a much better way to accomplish what needs to be done or a much better path for them to go. And they just won't do it. So notice that you need the promise of the word to appeal to a holy God who has the power to destroy an entire nation of people with the snap of his fingers. This is a serious thing. Sometimes people call this Moses standing in the gap. It is a big deal to think that you come before the creator God and say, hey, um, according to your word, will you change your mind? That's a big deal. Now, let me ask you this in your entire lifetime. How many people have prayed like that? You see what I'm saying? There's something different. Moses has got something different going on in his intimacy with Yahweh about this. So notice, the Lord listens. Which, which pause for a second, this is important. This whole idea that God predestines every little minutia of everything that ever happens on the face of the earth is an absolute absurdity. It is. Because the scriptures would not tell us that God changes his mind if his mind was not set to act in a different way. Does everybody understand that? You don't change your mind because you go, you know what, I was just kidding before. Now we're really going to do this. That Nobody operates like that. The people that do that, you would never trust them with anything. So notice, in this situation, we're talking about that the Lord is actually reacting to the active involvement and intercession of Moses to appeal to God. That's a personal God. That is a personal God. So watch, you, watch, watch but short of, sorry, tongues, I was so excited about it. Verse 14, so the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Now notice, he appealed to Yahweh according to his word. He secured mercy First. Now he's got to go clean up this mess. And I think this is important. Is and yes, this is a yes question. Is God full of grace? He is. But is there always grace and discipline? Just because you discipline someone does not mean that you're not gracious. In fact, to not discipline someone for their wrongdoing is to actually say that they are not legitimate in their needs. In fact, we're told that in Hebrews 12, right? Don't despise the discipline of the Lord. You're being disciplined because you're children of his. If he didn't consider you his own, he'd let you run amok and not even care about it. But that's not how God gets involved. Well, notice Moses is getting ready to carry forward righteous discipline on these people. And it's important for us to understand this because sometimes, oh, I'm all about grace, I'm all about grace, I'm all about grace. You can still be all about grace, but get the full orb of what grace is about in this situation. So moving forward. So Moses goes down with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Tablets which were written on both sides. They were written on one side and the other. And why are there two tablets? Does anybody remember this? We haven't covered this a little bit. What's that? One for God, one for Israel. It's just like when you go to the bank and you get a mortgage. Don't we all wish that the bank didn't have a copy of our mortgage? All of a sudden, we'd find, oh, I don't, I don't have a copy either. Where'd it go? How convenient, right? Yes. Hmm. I think the reason is, I mean, chances are there were five uh, five commandments on one side and five on the other. That's probably what it was. And I think that's what's profound. I think that if we would just meditate on what the Ten Commandments would look like, and I'm not saying that we should superimpose this or anything like this, but think about it. What would America look like if it was run by just the Ten Commandments? We'd need a lot less government, wouldn't we? We don't need to make any new laws. God's spoken. Everybody sit down. Imagine what we could do with all those salaries we pay all these people. You know, $174,000 and you're supposed to be advocating for the poor? How about you live off of $60,000 and give the rest of the money away to people? Yes, in and of themselves, there's an exposition upon each one. Absolutely. In In fact, that's what the rest of Deuteronomy is all about that we're going to see. He expounds upon each commandment. Absolutely. But notice that when he initially spoken about what does it look like for you to live in relationship with one another and with the God who created you, he only had 10 things to say. That right there had to be profound enough in and of itself. So yes, I would agree. The specifics of that are actually, I believe, where the Pharisees got all messed up, and this is why we had all these extraneous things that led to legalism, and then it became a checklist of whether or not you were being good or not, or what you were or were not doing on a Sabbath day, and now everybody's righteousness can be patrolled and monitored. That's called religion, okay? That's not relationship with Jesus Christ. So, yes, Chuck, you're correct. So notice this. He comes down, verse 16. The tablets were God's work. Stop for a second. The tablets were whose work? Now, here's why this is dangerous. Think about this. You didn't see an image. You heard a what? Voice. And now that voice has wanted to make it much more tangible for you, the second generation, not necessarily by speaking from the mountain audibly as he did to the first generation. You got to remember, there's some people here that weren't around for that time. Their parents, their ancestors, died in the wilderness because of their sin to go into the land, but now he has actually written them on tablets of stone for them to have in front of their eyes. This is a major point of revelation. So notice, they're God's work, and the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. Now when Joshua, that's the second in command, heard the sound of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a sound of war in the camp. What do you think war sounds like? Tornado. What is it? A lot of yelling, massive chaos. Probably sounds like 12 of me preaching. Who knows? Verse 18. But he said, It is not the sound of the cry of triumph, okay? In other words, it ain't good says here, now is it the sound of the cry of defeat? But the sound of what? Singing? Singing? Pause for a second. We're all up on the mountain. Okay? Joshua's having this conversation with Moses. We're standing in the presence of a holy God. It's far off a little bit. And you hear the sound of singing. What's going on down there? They're worshiping a golden calf. And this is the most joy they've had since they saw the horse and his rider thrown into the sea, right? Everybody remember that? Exodus 15? And now there is singing because now we have something tangible to worship and now we have a reason to rejoice. And we can forget about Moses and all this stuff he was trying to do with us. We can now move on in our lives and and get on to better times now. Let's all sing and party after 40 days. Everybody talks about it takes 28 days to develop a habit, right? Good grief. What happens in 40 days? Insane. So here we go, verse 19. It came about as soon as Moses came near the camp, and he saw the calf and the dancing. Now, I don't care who you are, Baptists just fell over, okay? They're not just singing, they can handle singing. Dancing, obviously these people are not saved, they're going to hell in a handbasket, right? And I'm sure there's a couple Baptist preachers that would deliver them themselves, so Uh, notice that's not the issue. I like to poke fun at that. And Moses' anger burned. Everybody see that? Watch this. And he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. Now, this is a little less dramatic than how Charlton Heston did it, okay? Because if you remember, Moses was on the side of the mountain, and the calf was a good 75 yards off or something, and it's like the greatest quarterback long bomb Hail Mary you've ever seen in your life with these tablets, okay? And he hits the calf and it explodes, which is way more dramatic, okay? Uh, But no, he threw them down and he broke them. Does everybody see the symbolism? Does everybody see the idea of your God is bowing down to make this relational covenant with you, one of protection and provision, and here you are already, before I could even bring it down in front of your face, breaking it. Everybody see that? Now remember, the reason why the Ten Commandments is important to embrace is because it is what is known as a suzerain vassal treaty. And this was a method of establishing relationship at that time that was common all throughout. So the Lord is stooping down to relate to them. Suzerain is the great king. He is the dominant king. He is the powerful king. And his whole thing is if you smaller kings will pledge allegiance to me and become part of my people group, then I in turn will protect you and provide for you all throughout. You have nothing to do with it. thank you, Taylor. I know it's good using his feet, good guy. So, but I will take care of you. This whole idea of this interchange between a great king and establish this conditional relationship with them. God wants to care for these people. God wants to love and these people are only. Everybody, see how sad this is. So when Moses comes down and sees this situation, uh, probably the Hebrew word there means ticked. He's ticked. Probably so notice he shatters him at the foot of the mountain. he took the calf which they had made and he burned it with fire and he ground it to powder. now he recounted this part right? he ground it to powder, powder and scattered it over the surface of the water and then he stopped there in Deuteronomy. Yes, everybody remember this for some reason he didn't bring this last part up, but look what happens and he made the sons of Israel do what? drink it. anybody ever tasted gold? Imagine that. Imagine how this is discipline. He made the children of Israel drink it. Now, I don't know what mode or method of discipline, but he probably had the look. Do you remember when your dad gave you the look and you were like, oh, you immediately covered up your backside, you straightened up real quick, you had the greatest posture ever at that time? Moses probably had the look. He struck you with those beady eyes and and it was over, okay? They actually drank this water. He took the idol that they worshiped. He showed it for what it was. And it's interesting because the taking of water has something to do with partaking in something, like you partake in a meal or something like that. Scary stuff here. Now, is this on? What's wrong with it? It's new. Yeah. Okay. So now, verse 21. Then Moses said to Aaron, <laughs> You can't find good help these days, can you? Moses said to Aaron, What did these people do to you? I love this question. While I was gone, you were supposed to hold the fort. What happened? Out of all of this unfaithfulness, how could you be unfaithful? You were supposed to watch over these people, and you were supposed to stand in the gap below. I was standing in the gap above. Now they're brothers which makes it smart just a little bit more, okay? What happened to you? And look what happens. That you have brought such great, what is it? Say it. Sin. That you have brought such great sin upon them. Was their desire to worship something else sin? It was, but notice that it's Aaron's willing involvement in the contribution that really propelled this sin. Why is this? Get this, guys. Because when leadership sins, the people underneath go in the same direction. Wherever leadership leads, the people who are following go in the same direction. We talk about this sometimes. The sin in Corinth. The man is with his stepmom. That's a bad sin. But what was the worst sin going on? The leadership in the church were applauding it. Wow, this is fantastic. I sure was praying that you guys would hook up, brother. I mean, is that what was going on there? It's twisted and it's demented and it's thinking. Where leadership leads, the people will follow. This is why you've got to be insanely careful about who you choose to be your leaders, regardless of what realm you're in. And this is why you cannot sacrifice or slack back from a full devotion to God at all times the crowd is going to go in the other direction they're going to in my 20 years that I've been in ministry so far I'm not kidding you I bet you I could count 50 people that have fallen away from the faith I don't know if I ever told you guys this my wife and I when we got married we had one of those pictures made up where we all look cute and young in the middle. And then there's a big, huge, white, you know, nine foot, eight foot, or not eight foot, eight inch border all the way around where people can write their names. or They were there at your wedding. Okay. And we see all these things, all oh, the Lord bless your union and stuff like that all throughout where they've signed their names. And when we were moving and packing this up, my wife was looking at this picture and she goes, Wow. This person's fallen away, this person's fallen away, and she just went down the pipe. There were only three names that were on that picture of people who were still walking faithfully with the Lord. Three. And we had over 500 people at our wedding. It was a huge wedding. It was a huge wedding. And all the people that signed it, fallen away, gone. Why is that? Because it's real easy to capitulate. It's real easy for people to forsake the Lord, especially when they're going through a 40-day period and have lost sight of His Word. So now, Aaron, what's the problem here? Why did you bring such great sin on them? Verse 22, I love it. Spoken like a true Christian. It really is. Do not let the anger of my Lord burn. You know the people yourself. They're prone to evil. Even Yahweh said... They're a stiff-necked people. Is this an excuse? Sorry, is it a good excuse? Is it a sufficient excuse? How many times have you had sin existing in your sphere of influence that has been rationalized by this idea that, well, you know, they're just being kids. I'll never forget when my cousin went off to the Navy. And she came in, and her vocabulary was slightly different. She was very affluent in the ways of the sea. And I said, Mom, why is she talking like that? And I forget, my mom said, well, when you get in the Navy, that's just the way all Navy people talk. Now, what I love about that is, is I've never heard anything like that out of Pastor Steve's mouth. You See what I'm saying? It doesn't have to be that way. Sometimes we act like that sin is just a, well, you know, let's just let it go this time. And it's not. Sin cost the life of the Savior. Out of how powerful God is, sin was the one thing that we would cling to that would separate us from His love and blessing. And I'm not saying like his love for all the world. I'm talking about being in the love relationship with him because we want to be there. No, we loved our sin and our darkness rather than all the light and goodness that he promised to us. Everybody see how easy it is. Just forsake it. Just let it go. Just no, There's other things. There's other temporal things in this world to entertain your attention. Now, Moses, you know their problem. That's just the way they are. So let's just excuse them. What else did you expect of them? Did you actually expect better? How many people have expected better and been let down? Hands go up. You see what I'm saying? This is not a good excuse. Verse 23, for they said to me, make a god. And notice that the possibility is there, is that's actually plural. Okay, we're talking Elohim here. So remember, anytime you're dealing with little g gods, you are dealing with the idea that they have a demonic influence behind them. Okay, so notice this. Make a God for us who will go before us. For this Moses, this man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me. Pause, stop. Is everything he's saying true so far? It's all true. And then the lie comes, right? Notice, they gave it to me. And I threw it into the fire. And out came this calf. Really? Notice that Moses doesn't respond with, no way. This is not a Bill and Ted response here. Now when Moses saw that the people were, I love this, out of control. How many people have a King James here that you're reading from? King James, what's your say? What what translation is it? Running wild in the NIV. The ESV says when they had broken loose. The King James uses the word naked. Does everybody get a pretty vivid picture of what might be going on around this calf right now? It's probably a certified orgy is what it is. So can you imagine that Moses has just spent 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of God Almighty, and he is actually holding in his hands something that the finger of God has actually written upon, which we don't see anywhere else. And as he hears about this situation, and he pleads with God for mercy in the situation according to his word, and he now heads down the mountain, can you imagine the scene that he came out on? Cecil DeMille could not capture this on film at that time. But you can you imagine, what's that? It would be triple X rated. Can you imagine, I was going to say, can you imagine what the rating would be if Mel Gibson got a hold of this and tried to put it in theaters now? You see what I'm saying? You actually couldn't go and see it. What's up? That's an interesting question. The, pro- the problem is, is that number one, deal- anytime you're dealing with hypotheticals in the Bible, it's always dangerous. But another thing would be the fact that Moses told him, you wait here with the people, Joshua and I are going to go up and meet with the Lord. We see many instances, especially when the elders of Israel, see here's the crazy thing, in the first generation, the elders of Israel were called to go up part ways of the mountain with them, and they actually dined with Yahweh. They had this experience alongside Moses with Yahweh that was unfathomable in the idea of establishing an intimate relationship with them. So what, maybe Aaron wanted to see what happened? Maybe it was that the itch for sin was just getting a little much for him. He, i tell you what he probably did. As somebody who was in a leadership position, he thought that he could maintain some semblance of integrity and yet still feast upon the sin with his eyes, but yet he's not committing it, you know? You, know, you shall not murder. Well, I didn't I didn't do anything to that person, even though that made me really mad. No, Jesus said if you hate that person in your heart, you've killed them. Maybe because they weren't taking the heart of the law. Aaron wasn't taking the heart of the law into consideration. I don't know. See, that's the interesting thing. We can all, we, we can all do the, the twenty twenty hindsight thing, can't we? I would have handled it differently. Would you? You got a whole mob of people. We're not talking about just like 20 guys waiting to fellowship. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about probably upwards of 2 million people after 40 days that are getting restless and they want an answer now. We're talking about a mob mentality. Let me ask you the question. We'll close with this because it's time. And don't answer out loud. You don't have to, but just think about it, what you would do if you were Aaron in this situation. Would it not have been better for Aaron to lose his life than disobey God? You see what I'm saying? And how many of us would have really made that choice? Yeah, I can count this life over for being faithful to the Lord. Well, I live in America. That'll never be required of me. Let's not be so foolish. When people are sinful and emotional, they do dumb, irrational things. And sometimes that costs the life of people. Understand, we're we're never called, we're never called in all of history to control people. Never. What we are called to do is have an intimate relation with Yahweh our God through the Lord Jesus Christ ourselves, and steward ourselves towards godliness and righteousness. Let the effects of that be what they may, but we remain focused on His Word no matter what. Sound good? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for putting this occasion in Your Word that we can talk about the the struggles and the emotional excuses that are made for sin. And to see, Father, that regardless of what the situation is, your word stands true. Your word is always to be respected and followed. Your word is always to be embraced and held to and loved. Help us, Father, uh, to realize that Jesus Christ has made this uh, an incredible possibility to walk in righteousness with you. We thank you, God, for the indwelling Holy Spirit who aids in this situation and guiding us and leading us into all truth, providing for us what we need to say who is a comforter, a very real help always and is with us forever. Uh, We are an incredibly blessed people. Father, thank you for the wisdom that you give. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.